I um, often when I'm preaching, uh, in fact, regularly when I'm preaching and even a lot, I think this morning, I, I used the term culture. We talk about our culture. Uh, we used, uh, maybe we could probably just fill in the word, the world around us. Uh, but uh, the culture is that which is obviously in our society around us. And we find as a church that we are often in conflict with culture. And by that, I mean culture is so often trying to influence us. It's trying to influence the church. It's trying to influence our children. It's having an influence on our marriages and our lives. And so there's this constant pull from our culture around us. My, my concern is, and my concern is this, I, I don't want to paint culture as the enemy. Our culture is not our enemy. Our culture is often something we're in conflict with. But our culture is not our enemy. Our culture is our mission field, right? It's, it's our mission field around us. And so one of the things that uh, a lot of the different, uh, I try to keep up with uh, things that are happening and different of the top Christian blogs and writers and things like that. One of the things that they often warn us about is that the, the young people, the, the, the term today is the millennials. So the young people in their 20s, roughly, uh, late teens to 20 year old. It's a big group. Uh, it's as big as or bigger than the baby boomers. So it's this big group of young people uh, that are really the, the target today. And so tonight we're going to look at a couple different things. We're going to look at, at our culture. We're going to look at advertising in our culture. We're going to look at church in our culture. And the millennial group is that group that's going to determine things in the next couple of decades to come. The caution often in Christian circles is that we are um, driving off the millennials because we are often shown to be in conflict with culture. This is not new for the Bible. Uh, This didn't take God by surprise, right? God's not uh, stumped by the fact that the millennials might view Christianity or religion in general as something new or different or in conflict with them. And so I thought tonight we would look at culture, what the Bible has to say, what we are dealing with around us, uh, just some pictures of how the thinking has changed in our philosophy. So I'm going to use terms like postmodernism. So bear with me. I'm not going to get deep and philosophical, and I'm not going to be a college professor tonight. That's not my intent. I hope what you find tonight to be interesting. Uh, You'll be able to see some parallels. And so we better understand how to connect with our culture. Because while culture is trying to make inroads into the church and drag us away from the word, we're simultaneously need to engage culture in order to evangelize them. I gave you some handouts there tonight. We'll We'll look at them tonight. John 17. John 17, if you have it, that will be our our main uh, passage. In fact, it's the only passage I'm going to look at. And then we're going to look at a number of different uh, uh, thoughts on that. But John, John 17. John 17, if you have... I'm going to read the first few verses, then we'll we'll probably jump down a little bit. But John 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify the Son, that the Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as has given him. And this life is eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. I don't know if you underline things in your Bible or make notes, but if you want to tonight, and I don't often challenge you to do that. This would be unusual for me. But these are things I've underlined in my Bible. In the middle of that verse, out of the world. Notice that phrase right there? Out of the world. I'm going to keep reading for a couple of verses. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they that believe that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those that thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse number 11. The second phrase right there, he says, I know, I now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And again, if you want to underline, in the world. The second one in verse 11. The second time it's used because he's talking about these, not himself, but these. Continue reading verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in thy world in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath, hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And if you want to underline another one, verse 16, of the world, or not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also have sent them into the world. And verse 18 would be the last one there, into the world. Interesting lineup here. Bible tells us the Lord is talking. We see this prayer between Jesus Christ and God. He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about those who he, they were given to him, the believers. He says they were saved out of the world, verse 6. We're still living in the world, verse 11. We're not to be of the world, verse 16, but we're sent back into the world, verse 18. Well, that, that takes a lot to ponder, right? right? We're saved out of it, but we're still living in it. We understand that. The moment we get saved, it would be wonderful if the moment we got saved, we were immediately transported to heaven, right? And our Christian life was with God, but it's not. That's not God's plan. God's plan is we accept him and we stay in the world in order to evangelize the world so that the world through us might see Jesus Christ. And so we're saved out of the world. We're still living in the world, but we're not to be of the world because I'm a child of the king. Things have changed, right? My home address has changed. My nationality, spiritual nationality has changed. So I'm saved out of the world, still living in the world, not to be of the world, but in fact sent back into the world. That's why we call ourselves ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. And so it's a, 
very confusing thing in some ways to figure out what our standing is. How, how do we witness to the world and not be of the world, but still be connected to the world, but not have them influence us, right? This is the dilemma that we're in. This is the challenge that we have. If you are of a plain clothes religion, uh, the, the Amish or the Mennonite to a lesser degree, they have taken this and withdrawn themselves from the world, right? They try to segregate themselves from the world. They want no influence of the world. I, I would think, though, that the challenge would be how they are still sent into the world, right? How do they evangelize the world if they segregate from us? That's why we are not of that religious vein. But, so we see that. We also see, I think, on the far side of that, you're more... Uh, more modern evangelicals today or others who just live like the world. We don't see any difference between some Christians today and the culture around us. And so there's a blurred line there. They may be saved out of the world. They're living in the world, but they are of the world. At least they look like they're of the world. And so here's the cultural dilemma that we find ourselves in as church. Now, we need to be a witness to our world without being influenced by the world. We need to be a positive influence to the world, giving them the gospel, giving them the light, without being inundated by the darkness. And so it's, it needs to be a one-way relationship. This is where we uh, start to find our challenge, is that we're living in a post-modern culture. Now, every time I've been to a seminar and they've used this word, or even sometimes when I've taught it, we start to look at some of these different examples of what postmodernism is, and some people scratch their heads and go, people don't really think like that. If this room was full of 18 to 25-year-olds, nobody would question it. <laughs> you know, the, the younger people today think differently. Maybe not so much in the churches, but definitely in the world in general. I know I have a couple of young people here today. I, I, I think there's a balance, and you'll see that. Not everything that postmodernism thinkers are thinking is wrong. It's just different. It's different, which is why we see some of our evangelism efforts being met with different degrees of success or failure. Things that always used to work don't work anymore, right? Things that we always used to do. We always did it that way. Doesn't happen anymore. What's the, what happened? What changed? There's a, yes, sir. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> Bear with me. <clears throat> you, you and I are living in a, a modernism, modernism thinking, modernism philosophy, and, and modernism in and of itself. Now, listen, we, we sometimes in our churches have used modernism in a negative vein. I'm just talking about intellectual philosophical thinking from the age of the Renaissance, from the Renaissance era until, up until the mid 20th century, we lived in the age of modernism. That's how it's viewed in history, the age of modernism. And the age of modernism was defined by this, defined by man's reasoning, right? So those of us, and I will put myself into this category, that think in a modernistic thinking, think of reasoning. We, we view things in a vein of common sense, right? It's common sense or it's just dumb, you know? It's just one or the other. We base things off a scientific basis, right? Things make sense. We look at ability to determine absolutes. 
Now, we understand absolutes in a Christian life, but we also understand absolutes in the world around us. One plus one always equals two, right? We understand that. That's changing today, folks. That's changing. But so far, we understand one, to one plus one always equals two. That, that's, that's a fact. We don't have to argue that. If I, if I picked up Barbara's coat and I asked everybody in this room, may I borrow this for one second? What color is this coat? We would say red, right? We would say red. I think there would be a general, some people are going, I don't know. Yeah, it's red, right? For the sake of the argument, it's red. Fire trucks are red. Fire extinguishers are red. The point set is most of them were red, all right? So we we understand that. But in in postmodern thinking, it's only red because someone taught you it was red. And if you don't think it's red, it's not necessarily red. So you and I, that's an absolute, right? Red's always red. We look at a color spectrum. There's primary colors, right? There's red, there's you know, blue, there's yellow. We understand primary, it's red. But in postmodernism thinking, it's not necessarily red. We're gonna get to how they come to that conclusion. But this is, mod- so we, I would say the majority of us in this room, no matter what age we are, the majority of us sitting in this room, we think like this. Postmodernism is defined this way, all right? Post-mod- now, bear with me. My goal here is to talk about how we are engaged with culture. How do we engage as a church with culture? Postmodernism, each individual categorizes thoughts in their own way, and each was influenced by different standards. So people are going to view things differently, and the way they view them may or may not be wrong, right? They w- we wouldn't dare say today that they're wrong. They've just come to different con- conclusions because they were influenced by different standards. So the standards that they, that they had as influence is going to lead them to their own conclusions of how they come to something. Think, just think about that for a minute. We'll build on that. Multiple truths lead only to preferences. And so... That way, more than ever, if I tell someone about Jesus Christ, they may very well answer me, well, that's good for you, right? That's good for you, because that's a preference for you. No, what we have to get across to culture is Jesus Christ died for everyone, and everyone still needs him, you know? But to the postmodernism thinking, that's a little too vague, right? That's a little too broad. It can't be for, it's good for you, it doesn't have to be good for me. That's postmodernism. Let me build on this. I'll give you some real good examples in a second. Postmodernism has an emphasis on subjective truth versus objective truth. Subjective truth. So it's, it, everybody's opinion is valued. Just as a side note, do you know today I think there's 835 talk radio stations in America? You know, there used to be, like, 50 years ago, there was three, you know? 835 talk radio stations. Do, do, you, do you know the most popular part of the Patriot News? And the Patriot News is on life support, you know what I mean? It's only out a couple days a week. But the most popular part is, like, in the sports section, it's the fan line, where people express their own opinion. And in the main part, it's, you know, where you write in and give your opinion about what's going on. It's your opinion. Because today, your opinion is most important. We're going to build on that, but I'm trying to build where the millennials are thinking today. Their thinking has changed. We are in a transitional period. 
This is a tide that's not going to change. We, listen, our objective as a church is not to change the way people think. It's only to introduce them to Jesus Christ, right? And so we can't change this mindset of thinking. that we're, That's not the role of the church. The role of the church is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he gives them and the hope that is only available through him. And so my conclusion is to get to that point. They emphasize community over the individual. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just the difference. It's community, not individual. What is Lowe's Home Improvement? What's their slogan? Let's build something together. Not to be outdone is Home Depot. Home Depot says, let's do this. Right? Home Depot, let's do, let's do this. Lowe's, let's build something together. Community has become essential in a postmodernism world. Any of you ever watch House Hunters or one of those shows, you know, realtor shows where you're, people are looking for a house? I, I don't have cable, so I get it sporadically. Some of them are on Netflix right now, so I'm watching them on Netflix. Today, everybody... And I mean everybody that is looking for a house. When they talk to their realtor, says they need to have, it's the number one thing they say, I need to have a place for entertaining. Entertaining. They all say it. It's to the point that my wife and I are waiting for that. You know, as soon as they say it, we look at each other like, there they go. Yeah. Entertaining. Now, nothing wrong with having people over. But I guarantee that my parents, whenever they bought a house, were looking for the practicality of the house. How does the kitchen fit them? Is, does it have enough bedrooms? Is it in a good location? You know, is the yard appropriate for the dog, whatever? We looked at how it fit our needs. But today, people are looking for how can I entertain other people in my house? Desi and I have good friends, uh, friends from the past uh, that we're really not in contact with anymore that have just recently, over the last couple of years, spent tens of thousands of dollars to redo their entire basement just to have people over. They don't need the space. They only have two kids. Their house is plenty big enough. They did it just to have people over. I mean, again, nothing wrong with having company over, but to, that is in contrast to the way people used to think. We used to just squeeze people in around the dining room table. I went to my mom's house on uh, Christmas. Uh, you know, the family's bigger than ever now that CJ's married and has a child and Logan's been born and we have all these new ones. Now, all of a sudden, the ta there's three tables, three, a main table and a little card table, and then it goes up to another little table, and we're all packed around these three tables in this room. Mom never bought her house thinking, I wonder how many people I can entertain in my house, you know? Never thought that. T community over the individual is so important. Virtual reality is more important than scientific discovery. And I'm not even getting into the whole virtual aspect. But young people, they have grown up on video games. They live vicariously through their video games. Uh, I, I, I know we have a tendency, the older we are, the more we have a tendency to look at video games as just bad. I, I'm not necessarily convinced of that. They have some advantages too, uh, but they do lead to the young people just kind of sitting alone in their bedroom, playing with their friends online, rather than going outside and playing. And I'm not, that's not a good thing, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Bear with me. How do we see postmodernism? 
I think we see it, first of all, in our advertising. I just used Lowe's and Home Depot. I wrote these down today for you, today. Here's two examples of a contrast in advertising, all right? Ford truck commercial. Ford truck, who is Ford F-150 advertising their F-150 truck? Who are they advertising to? They are not advertising necessarily to millennials. Ford's not. They're advertising to the hardworking business guy who's probably 40, 45, probably my age or so. So Ford is advertising to not uh, postmodernism, millennial. They're advertising still modernism. Not everybody is, and we'll get to that. Ford. It's that commercial that with uh, uh, actor Dennis Leary does the voice, if you know who he is, does the voice. And it's all that animated where they have the arrow go up and over to the next truck and down to the workplace. If you know which one I mean, it's all drawn. He says, all right, maybe you are undecided about which truck to buy. Here's a little research product project for you. Pick a work site, any work site. Look over the fence. Ta-da, there's your next truck, the Ford F-150. Number one in the hardest working industries. Why? Because it has power and fuel economy from the EcoBoost Energy. Ford, number one best-selling truck in America. So you and I can relate to that. Why do we buy a Ford truck? Because everybody who works hard buys one. <laughs> because uh, it's the number one selling truck, and it has been for decades. Because it has more power, because it has better fuel economy. Uh, we, we see all, I, I understand some of you are anti-Ford. <laughs> Bear with me. Just a commercial, all right? Just a commercial. All right, but these are the reasons why they give you to buy their truck. You buy their truck because it's more powerful, with better fuel economy. You and I can relate to that. We understand that. Here's the Toyota Camry commercial. Toyota Camry came out with three commercials that are part of a set. Um, the one I wrote down is the Toyota Camry commercial with the jazz player, B.B. King. This is the commercial. There's a picture of a young lady. I started my Camry. I went to an auction. I bought a storage locker. I found an old guitar. I reunited it with its owner. I hit the jackpot, she says, as B.B. King signs the guitar and hands it back to her. I hit the jackpot. Camry, one bold choice leads to another. End of the commercial. Why do you buy a Camry? Is the price good on the Camry? I don't know, doesn't say. What's the financing? What's your fuel mileage? How safe is it? What's the resale value? Why do you, the Camry is the best-selling car in America. The F-150 is the best-selling vehicle, but the Camry is the number one selling car. They're doing a great job selling Camrys, and they just did a whole set of commercials. They did this one with the, with the locker and the guitar. They did the one where the, uh, the runaway bride, the guy shows up in the Camry and steals his old girlfriend away, and they leave. And then they have the third one where the guy takes his dad to Mardi Gras. That's the three sets in this commercial. None of them say a word about how much. Do you see postmodernism? I'm telling you, I've sat in many of these seminars at different preachers' meetings where people have talked about postmodernism. And I, I heard one guy, he sat on the second row. He was adamant with the poor speaker. Nobody thinks like that. That's, nobody thinks postmodernism thinking. Nobody thinks like that. I don't know what you're talking about. There's the Camry commercial that ran today during the football game. 
That's how. That's the modernism thinking. You, you look at a. Uh, you look at a, a commercial for. Target. Or Old Navy. You will not hear a product named. You will not hear a price, the value of the product, sale ends next Saturday. None of that. It's people dancing, running, opening, having fun, and at the end, boom, Target, boom, Old Navy. It's just, let's all have fun. All right, so this is the mindset of postmodernism thinking. I'm telling you, this is who, listen, we are not of the world, but we're sent into the world to evangelize the world. And millennials today do not think like you and I. They don't think like you and I. The thinking is changing. It's changing gradually. This is not a small thing. Modernism was around for centuries. Postmodernism will be around for centuries or until Jesus comes back, which won't be centuries. But it's going to be around for a long time. This is a gradual change. Postmodernism, we can see it in our disease, our crime, and sin being redefined around us. I, personal opinion. Drives me crazy that everybody that has anything now has a disease. An alcoholic has a disease of alcoholism. That drives me crazy. They have a problem. They have a sin. They have an addiction. It's hard to break. Many families have been affected by alcoholism. I understand that. But when I go through the children's hospital and see the children dying with leukemia, they have a disease. When I see alcoholism, the moment they stop drinking, their disease goes away. Big difference. Let's use two different words. But we lump them all together today. We do that with almost everything in the medical field. We just lump it all together until everybody has the same problem. Schools are telling us that more than half of the children in school now have ADD. More than half. If it's more than half, I would dare say it's normal. But that's not popular. Never mind. All right. We're not, we're not uh, uh, disciplined. Our actions are no longer wrong, but rather they're disruptive to others. Right? We don't tell children no. We don't tell children what they're doing is wrong. We tell them what you're doing is disrupting the other children. You shouldn't be doing it right now. It drove me crazy when I saw this at Desi's last school. One, one child is disruptive and tears the room apart. The other 18 children with the teacher have to leave the room for three hours, go sit in the library until they calm, calm little Johnny down and everybody else can return. It drives me insane, right? Because I'm not thinking like postmodern thinking. And in postmodern thinking, our actions are not wrong. They're just disruptive to others. We need to stop the disruption. We don't want to tell them that they're wrong. Postmodernism doesn't take things at face value. Bill Clinton started a lot of this, folks, right? When he said, so what is, is. Remember? What is, is in his, in his uh, hearings with Monica Lewinsky. He wanted to redefine what the word is means because the word is might mean something different to him than it does to us. You know, up until then, we all thought the word is meant the same thing. <coughs> But our president told us that the word is meant something different to him than it does to us. So is may not mean what is was, whatever that means. <laughs> All right, move on real quick. The emerging church. The emerging church is religion's answer to postmodernism. 
It's how people are trying to reach a postmodern culture. So the emerging church movement. Now, the emerging church movement is, is, a, is a hard to define group, but its influences are influencing many churches. I brought, even up here tonight, I brought an emergent manifesto. So this is their book. This is not opposed to emerging churches. This is written by all the emerging pastors. I'll read the names that are on the cover. Maybe they might mean something to you. Brian McLaren, Dan Kimball, uh, Will Sampson, Tim Keel, Barry Taylor, uh, Karen Sloan, Ryan Bolger. The first couple there I recognized. They large, have large churches around the country. They're emergent churches. What's the emergent church doing? Well, wait, before we get there, modernism in religion. So our church would agree with, we believe in truth versus error, right? Things are either right or they're wrong. We understand that. We believe in a right belief. That's why it's really odd that Pastor Gunther stands up on Sunday and says there's only one way to get to heaven, right? And millennials' heads explode. They cannot fathom that. There's only one way to get to heaven through Jesus Christ. God only has one way, all right? So since that doesn't change and the millennials' thinking is off, we need to bridge that gap. That's where I'm getting to. Bear with me. We believe in confessionalism or catechism, standards with which we live by, which, with, with which we run our churches by. We believe in bylaws, doctrinal statements. We believe in these things. Millennials have no time for that. Nobody under the age of 30 has ever asked me for a copy of our bylaws, nor do they care. You know, our website uh, gets about 1,500 hits a month. I can even gauge which page gets the most hits. Our most popular page is the home page because it's default. The second most popular is audio because people go there to listen, right? Coming events, calendar, children's ministry, all those follow. The last one, always, always, every month. The last page is our doctrinal statement. Nobody cares. In postmodern thinking, nobody cares. They don't care what we believe anymore. The emerging church is this. This is the emerging church. This is from this book. The postmodern religion is based on relationships. Remember community, right? Community first. It's based on relationships. And so it's about how we all get along. It's become a community event. It's become a place. It's become like a uh, social club. The church has in the emergent mindset. It's a place where we all, it's a place where we can get refuge from the world. And while the church is that, that's not our primary focus, folks. But it isn't an emergent philosophy. It's about love. We're never going to offend anyone, right? In the emerging church, never going to offend anyone. We don't want to step on toes. It's about shared traditions. So the emergent church is big on blended services. A, a true emergent church, and they give some examples in here, a true fully emergent church will have stone and stained glass windows like we would have had a century or two ago. Uh, it'll have candles and robes. And then in the same room, it won't even have chairs. It'll have couches in a circle, you know, because they incorporate it. It'll have a projector and a rock band. It'll have incense and wine for communion. And maybe, uh, maybe not communion bread. They may make some fancy fancy bread. Not to mention you'll have different flavors of bread to pick from, and I'm not kidding. 
Yeah. And yeah, and, and every allergy's covered, you know? Everything's covered. All right, so we have relationships, love, shared traditions, blended services, everything goes. And it's based on discussion because everybody's opinion matters, right? The idea of a pastor to an, in an emergent church, the idea that a pastor would have a message from God to deliver to people is contrary to their thinking. Everybody has a message from God. Everybody should share what's on their mind. Let's all get along. So that's a, a blended, com I mean, community first. That's an emergent church. So that's the thinking behind that. And we see some of that trickling into all churches. We see some of that mindset trickling in. Not to this full degree around here, uh, but in Seattle. If you go to Seattle, every other church looks like this. Literally, you know. The question, they question. It should be they. They, the word is they. They question. What do they question? Substitutionary atonement. Right? That there's only one way, that the blood of Christ matters. They question that. It's in their book. They question the reality of hell, because hell's negative. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. The world says that. Our culture says that. The emerging church says that. Right? Oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't never going to talk about that. They, now, today, they're questioning the nature of gender and sexual orientation, because it's culturally relevant, so they go there. Right? We're in conflict with culture because we believe that men are born men and women are born women and men are supposed to marry women and women are supposed to marry men. We believe the Bible teaches that. That's in contradiction to culture today. The emerging church has a problem with that too. The emerging church, this is their word, epic, E-P-I-C, epic. Epic is experimental. Everything's different, right? Experimental. Anything goes, everything's, everything's different. Every, it could be different every week. The things that I'm teaching you about the emergent church now in their book are probably outdated by today. Because they've already changed it. They came up with something new. It's participatory. Everybody's involved. Epic, E-P-I-C, it's participatory. Everybody's to be involved. Everybody has a part. Everybody does. Now listen, we understand that to an extent. We're all part of the body of Christ, right? Everybody has a role. Only they've taken it to the service to where there's not a pastor most of the time, you know, whoever's led by the Spirit, according to them, just talks, you know, so a little different structure. Now, you understand, some of this we can, we can work with, because we're all part of the body. We all have a role. This is something relatable to them. We just got to make it fit Scripture. It's image-driven. We're a very visual nation today. We understand that. Everything's image-driven. I'm using PowerPoint to talk about it, right? Because we're image-driven. People want pictures. They want to be connected. Again, community. The community, the relationships, most important. All five senses are emphasized in their services. What do they do? Uh, here's some examples. When they preached on take your burden to the cross and leave it there, during their service, everybody got a piece of paper and a pen up front was a wooden cross sitting on the platform with a hammer and a bucket of nails. You write down your burden, you come up front, you nail it to the cross. Image driven. I mean, very, very hands on. Uh, one of them had a sermon on the bread of life. Jesus Christ was the bread of life. They hooked up five or six bread makers in the church and made bread during the service. So you smelled bread and then they ate bread. You know, you could taste the bread, all the, you know, 
All the senses are involved in bread. This is the emergent church. This is the idea that millennials are coming from. This is postmodernism thinking. Touchy-feely is a little bit more, again, not all of that's bad, but it can go too far. Uh, I know time's running out here. Let me. What's the church's answer? What's the Bible's answer? So if that's the way the kids are thinking today, the millennials are thinking, if this is what we're dealing with in our culture, if we're dealing with this postmodernism thinking, and yet we know that the Bible is right or wrong, black or white, yes or no, there's only one way, what do we do? How do we, how do we work with that? Well, number one, we emphasize the regeneration of man's heart. We can't just emphasize the regeneration of worship. That they've emphasized the regeneration of worship. We'll just change the service. Well, no, the emphasis needs to be the regeneration of man's heart. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We need to emphasize the basics. I watched some NFL football this afternoon. Last week of the season, some of the teams playing like the Eagles, not in the playoffs. Eagles played the Giants today. Meaningless game because neither one are in the playoffs. Last week of the season, meaningless game. There's a lot of talk during the game. They're going to bring in some new coaches. They're going to do some different things. And over and over and over again in the NFL, they talk about this. You know what they need to do? They need to bring in people to get back to blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. It's the first thing they teach kids in peewee football, right? So when there's a problem and they're at the NFL level and they're making $28 million a year, but they're not winning, what they need to do is find a coach to come in and teach blocking and tackling. Because blocking, blocking and tackling will win football games. That's Right? It does. They always get back to the basics. The fundamentals have to be in order. The Eagles didn't make the playoffs. Did you know the Eagles were the number one most penalized team in the NFL? They were, I think they were second in turnovers. Not going to win games that way, right? Got to get back to basics in order to do what we're supposed to do. Listen. We need to get back to basics. The regeneration of man's heart. We get back to the basics of the word of God. We need to talk about the sovereignty of God and his attributes. We need to have more Bible, more God, more discernment, etc. We need to be back to the basics of fundamentals. The fundamentals of the word of God. We can connect with millennials. Do you know what millennials... Love, I talked about this several times. Community, relationships, getting together in a group. There's been some talk over the years of the demise of the church. Millennials will just leave the church. They're not leaving the church. They may be leaving the church they grew up in, but they like the idea of community. The problem is getting together with them in a social setting is no different than church today. Church is a social setting to them. They look at the social aspect of church first. We need to talk about the fundamentals of the faith to make sure they understand the importance of a regenerated heart. Because a regenerated heart will make a difference in the world around us. But the community aspect is a good thing. I believe more than ever, and this is my number one thing, I will end with this. I learned in business the last 20 years, especially when I was at Sherwin-Williams, the young people today 
want people that know what they're talking about. You and I shop at Home Depot and Lowe's, and I guarantee almost every person in here knows more than the kid in the plumbing section. You know? We go there because we, cut, we know what we want. We can pretty much pick out what we want. We go with our old one. We hold it up to this long wall of stuff. We find the right one. We buy it and take it home. Right? We, 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 it's a self-service type of place. We, we understand that. Millennials are not buying at Home Depot's. Millennials are buying at Sherwin-Williams. You know, in the last 10 years, Sherwin-Williams stock has gone way up and Home Depot's has gone down. Home Depot stopped building stores. Sherwin-Williams just opened their 3,200th store. They only had 2,000 when I was there. People were buying at Sherwin-Williams. Why? Because at Sherwin-Williams, the people behind the counter know paint. That's what they know. They know paint. They know all about paint. They are experts on paint. And so millennials want to buy from someone. They are willing to pay more to find someone that knows what they're talking about. They research things to death and find someone that knows what they're talking about. That should put you and I in a good position if we know the Bible. Because when things get tough, they're going to go to some churches and the churches are like, well, whatever. What do you think? You know? Or we can say, I'll tell you what the Bible says, and this is the truth. Let's sit down and talk about this in a Bible study and see what the Bible has to say. And let's look at God's attributes of how God can deal with this situation. Now we have something substantial. And they want someone that knows what they're talking about. They want to get together in a Bible study and learn. That's a good thing for us in the years to come. We may have a harder time, and I think we already see this. Walking up to a door, knocking on the door. If you died today, would you like to, you know, uh, would you know, you, do you know you go to, would you know, you, do you know you for sure you go to heaven? If you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? They look at you like, who are you? Where are you from? What are you selling? You know? <coughs> Most of them aren't even home, right? Nobody's ever home anymore. But why? Well, they're, with, with, they're entertaining in their community, you know? <laughs> they're with people. They're not home anymore. And so we have to have these. That's why I believe what we need to have are Bible studies, outside things, where we go into the community and get people together to discuss the Word of God and, and get back to what the Bible says. Not everything goes. We're not trying to find out what everybody believes. We're trying to find out what the Bible says and get back to the Word. So those are some of my thoughts. Listen, John 17, saved out of the world, still living in the world, <coughs> We're going to be taken from the world. We're not of the world, but we're still sent into that world. That's a challenge for us. Because the world's an ever-changing place. Culture is not our enemy. Culture is our mission field. Right? Our, our object is not to withdraw from culture. Our object is to let culture not have an impact on us while we are sharing the gospel to them. And we may have to find new channels to get to them new ways to reach them, new methods to use than ever before. That's why we're finding today effective forms of evangelism are on DVD, booklets, right? Different, different avenues to get to the people who need the gospel. We've got to use these things to reach them where they are. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. Lord, may we understand how to how to deal with culture, how to reach culture, 
how to reach those around us. Lord, thinking is changing, but your word stays the same. And so, Lord, we know your word is not outdated for our current culture. We just have to be better prepared to use your word to reach our current culture. Lord, we pray you give us the wisdom and the discernment to do that. Lord, it's a challenge. It's not supposed to be easy. But, Lord, you've kept us in the world to reach the world. 